This is Ron Stefanski, and I am the host of Disrupt Ed, where we talk to the disruptors, the do-gooders, the uh, persevering ones, and the passionate ones about the state of the state in education in this country. And my co-host and compatriot, Dr. Caesar, is not in the house, so he's going to be on our next episode with these two next guests, both rock stars in their own ways in the field of education. We are blessed, honored, privileged to have with us today. Uh, the first guest is Francie Alexander, who is the Chief Research Officer at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Uh, thank you, Francie, for joining us today. I'm glad to be here, and I'm a former teacher, so education has always been near and dear. Fantastic. And we're also joined by Kyle Schwartz, who is following her passion, as she tells me, living her dream as a teacher in the Denver Public Schools. So ladies, welcome. I think uh, the topic of the day is where is education heading? And what we have um, is two things going on. First of all, uh, the influx of technology into education. And what the three of us just witnessed is what a teacher often experiences in the classroom. It took us 30 minutes to get on this podcast because of technical issues. And this is what our teachers are dealing with. And I think that is spoken for in your eighth annual educator conference report, Francie. So I read the report. I read the highlights. You're about to announce it. And it's staggering. It is saying that confidence in the state of learning and education is plummeting. It is also saying that over 75% of the teachers out there are frustrated and ready to leave the profession. So do you want to help us unpack this? Because then we, we, we want to hear Kyle jump into this and tell us why this is her dream job, because a lot of people out there are not feeling it. Well, indeed, one of the reasons that we put this out there, this survey, is to look at how can the industry support Kyle and all of the teachers. We know that she and others have been through a lot these past three years, unprecedented in the history of education in this country. So this eighth annual shows us the as you described, the plummeting state of what is called the Educator's Confidence Index. And we think of it a bit like a Dow Jones Index in that several factors go rolling up into sort of identifying what the issues are. And so some of the things that had really were high points or for the low point, you might say, in terms of how we got there were how teachers perceived the profession. And that perception often comes into how they are perceived. So when we looked at the high point, the 49%, and it's a 100-point scale, when we looked at that one, that was right when we went literally 100% digital in this country because of the pandemic. And people had this sense that we've got this. Um, we did something extraordinary. Literally in minutes and hours, we changed how we taught, how we interfaced with our students and our communities. Late night comics were saying things like, teachers should make $7 million a day. Then in the ensuing year, and of course I thought definitely so, 
in the ensuing years in between all the fits and starts that occurred. And then the increasing concerns for everybody's wellness, not just physical, though we were in a physical pandemic, it was the mental health status uh, of all of us. So I think those were the contributing factors to where we are. And so to me, this is like an inflection point, a time, a call to action, and that we should unpack the report in terms of, well, what would work? What would make a difference? What could we do now? Let me stop you there, Francie. The staggering statistic in your research shows, and you've been at this for a long time. You started out as a teacher. You were the associate superintendent of the state of California. You were the deputy assistant secretary of DOE. So you've been, you know, really studying this in a profoundly deep way, looking at this data. The one data point that screamed at me was what you're just talking about, and that is 78% of teachers are concerned about the mental health and well-being of their peers. So what they're saying is not me, but everyone around me is starting to come apart at the seams. Is that a fair statement? And what it shows to me is how altruistic teachers are. Because in past things, you know, people talk about self-care or how am I doing? So much of this is how is everybody else doing? That And again, I think that's affected how teachers feel about their profession because they're taking a lot on. They've always been super concerned about the children in their care. But now it's about the community, the children's families, and it's about other colleagues. And teachers aren't used to the, when, the, when they tell us on planes, put your own mask on first. Teachers aren't used to that. They're used to how can I take care of everybody around me? And so I think it feels like a big responsibility to teachers right now to take care of everyone around them. Yeah, I think that's a really sharp insight. So we're thinking about these folks with their mental well-being. We're thinking about these folks with their frustration level about the profession. And let's talk now about an award-winning teacher in the Denver Public Schools who's joined us here. For our listening and viewing audience here at Disrupt Ed, we're talking to people who are rock stars in the world of education. They're doing one of two things in my mind to be on this show and to talk with us. Number one, they're either helping to move the disruption and the transformation of our education forward, or they're helping other people to understand it. And I think we're going to hear a kernel of understanding from our rock star, Kyle Schwartz, as she tells us about her learning experience. Kyle, when you hear these numbers, you're shaking your head yes, but you're also, you've also told us no, that's what you're seeing among your community of peers, but you don't feel that way. So tell us about that. Well, I think I would um, just like as a correction, when you said like, oh, it's not me feeling overwhelmed, I'm worried about everyone else, like no. I am feeling overwhelmed and unsuccessful and everyone else is too. So um, like I'm not coming at this from the perspective of a teacher who has it all figured out and is feeling successful and confident about their profession. I think my own experience really reflects the majority of the teachers in the data where my confidence coming into teaching 10 years ago um, at like a high, you know, energized, ready to do anything has 
has plummeted along with the rest of the teachers as this report states. Well, as you express this, you still express this with this persevering heart. I can hear it in your voice. You want this to work. And so you're not among that 76% of the population that's saying it's not working. You're saying it's not working now. It's not working right now. So if you were to kind of think uh, and be allowed the opportunity to have a year sabbatical free of charge, the state pays your salary, you go off for a year, you go wherever you want. And you're there to just journal and uh, download what happened over the last two years in one of the most disruptive moments in our K-12 system. We had the disruption of technology, which was always knocking at our door. But then it became a game changer out of necessity, not out of desire, but out of necessity. Teachers weren't saying, oh, there's a better way that I can teach. They're saying, I've got to find a different way because I can't reach my kids in the classroom. So maybe if you were on that sabbatical and you were a month in, what do you think you'd be reflecting on in terms of learnings about how to get back into the game, get the support you need, get the resources you need? Tell us about that. Well, I actually can answer this question from an interesting perspective because um, after 10 years of teaching uh, third grade, second grade, first grade, this year, this coming school year, I am taking a year sabbatical um, to write a third book. So I wrote the first two books, I Wish My Teacher Knew and I Wish for Change while I was working full-time teaching. But when I was approached to write a third book, uh, like at this time, I just thought there is no way I can do writing and teaching at the same time. So I'm actually taking that year sabbatical now. So I can tell you where I am and what I'm doing. Um, one is just kind of like resting and recovering as teachers do over the summer. But um, I'm really interested in was also reflected in the report too, is that social emotional learning. And so that's what I find the most compelling. What I like to research and write about is how can real human teachers support real human kids in their classroom? Um, and not just, you know, oh, well, best practice is this, or like this special research thing in this one context, you know, this thing will help kids, but what can an actual teacher do with the constraints that we have in our classroom? So that's what I'm most interested in um, looking at for this next year that I have as like a little bit of a reprieve before I jump back in. Well, that's, that's a really, really interesting way to look at things. And you will have this opportunity to kind of refresh and regroup. Um, Francie, what can you tell us about the state of, uh, you know, social emotional learning? Um, we've heard a lot about this and what's working. What do we need to pivot on or just simply turn the ship around because we're going in the wrong direction here? It's not just the well-being of our teaching community. It's the fact that our children are at greater risk. Learning loss is pervasive, and um, social emotional health is is a concern. Mental health issues have skyrocketed. Anxiety and depression has skyrocketed. So, tell us what the report is 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 uh, giving us in terms of insight into how we 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 work on this. You know, here's a place where educators, teachers were 80s 
plus percent saying what had to happen. They said there has to be a well-integrated, comprehensive program throughout every part of, if you would, the school day, the school experience, that you can't have a, it's one o'clock, let's be kind, or this is, let's have a positive mindset now that we're going to be thinking about math. No, these things have to be integrated and dealt with throughout. Another thing that the educators pointed out to us, though, they don't have the resources, meaning there are some mental health issues that need another kind of professional. So in addition to your own ability, like Kyle's, to get your class motivated, engage students in learning, um, help them deal with anxiety, through all the things you know how to do, there are some situations where you need another professional to work with you. And those resources aren't readily available. So again, teachers were clear, this has to be all day, every day, well thought out, integrated into everything that we do. And sometimes we'll need deeper and more help. So, and this is something that's going to be long-term. Another thing they told us in the survey, there's not gonna be a quick fix to this. And you mentioned where students are in terms of learning. More than half of the teachers reported that their students did not meet expected levels of growth. So right there, you're starting the school year in a sense where the students aren't where you thought they would be on day one when you were going to get started. And this also seems more profound in other studies that we've done at certain grade levels and subjects. Teachers tell us, for example, when they start teaching kids to read, there's so much about that in person, mouth formations, demonstrations, hearing that they weren't able to do. And they feel like now that they're seeing their kids, they need a do over on that. So it's become even more complex. And one of the things that I think about in this whole environment is that teachers are one of, I think, the three most prof prof professional jobs we have in this country, along with lawyers and doctors, in terms of training and having to do field work before you enter it. That's something that teachers must do. But lawyers and doctors don't do it every day with all 30 of their patients or 30 of their clients every second being responsible, not just for an illness or one circumstance, but every part of that child or young person's growth and development. And they have to deal not only with the problem before them as a doctor would do or a lawyer, but problems that they haven't even uncovered yet and will find out in the course of it. And they do it literally second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour with our children. I think one of the things you guys are talking about that strikes me as worth uh, diving a little bit deeper in is the role of parents here. You know, one of the things the report went on to talk about was community and connection. And I'm kind of curious how you view the parent in this situation. When I think of a parent uh, managing kids in an environment where they're working remotely, they don't have paid for daycare and their kids are not able to sustain attention on a Zoom call for an entire class day. And so the parents 
uh, end up being more involved in their students' teaching. Um, tell me about that. Have parents become more uh, knowing and more, uh, you know, and have inserted themselves more into the, the child's teaching? Or what I've also seen is, wow, you need to be paid more. I can't believe what you've done. Uh, because, you know, by seeing what the teacher's doing in the classroom in your living room while you're trying to work, gives you a really, really clear perspective about the care and the character of the teachers delivering that instruction. Kyle, your thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I I have had, you know, incredible experiences with families throughout this. I saw families, caregivers, parents just go through heroic efforts to get their kid access to school or access to education. Um, I remember I had a student in my, when we were virtual learning and we're all on the Zoom call, um, you know, he'd always have his camera off and, you know, I would be like, oh, hey, you know, I'd love to see you. And he just would never turn his camera on. And one day I heard um, like in his background noise, something that was like, turn left in 50 feet. And after that, I realized after talking to his mom that she was delivering DoorDash and he was doing school all day from the backseat of the car while she was, you know, trying to work and get through this crazy time. So families have really done heroic efforts. Personally, I have gotten so much support from families. They're the best part of my job. Um, so I know that may be tricky for other educators. I don't know if I'm just lucky, but I've had great experiences. I do think one of the things in the report was just asking for better tools to communicate with parents. And one thing that has come great out of this pandemic that I'd love to keep is just the technology and communication. So it used to be that we'd ask parents to come in for a conference and they'd sign up for a time, you know, and they wait outside in the hallway and we'd talk. Um, and some parents could come and some parents couldn't because they had work schedule or it was hard to transport over to the school. But since we switched to, um, you know, like online conferences or at least making that an option, it was a lot easier to connect with families. You know, I'd be talking to a family, a mom doing a conference with her while she's on their, her way to pick up another kid from school. Um, so we kind of like fitted in and got to talk that way. But I think we still need better integrated technology um, and ways to communicate with parents and families on a greater scale because we teachers want to be partners with families. Like that is our goal. We we feel best when we are true partners. We acknowledge that the families are their kids' first and most important teacher. And so we really do want that, those tools for connection that I think are out there that we could figure out for teachers, but we we need it in our classrooms. You know, I want to go back to you, Francie, about some of the data that you've uh, collected in your massive report. And that is around um, technology. It does seem like we have moved to a different space. Um, it seems to me, and I've been in technology in K-12 since the, uh, the new millennium in 2001 uh, with the emergence of the state virtual school here in Michigan that I was part of. And back then, there were a lot of conversations about online in the classroom, and it became a you know, well, this is just as good, and this actually gives you better, and it was a compare and contrast. And I think what COVID taught us is that that's not a real, real good measure of how 
technology should play a role in in the classroom. It really should be both. And we should be figuring out much more astutely when to bring technology in. What, in your mind, did you take away from the annual educator conference report in terms of teachers embrace of technology and what they're telling us in terms of what the future use of technology is in the classroom? Well, as you point out, the increased use during this past two and a half years is well documented. And now 68% of the teachers in our survey said it's essential. So it went from being something that was kind of an add-on to something that we're understanding more must be integrated in all aspects of what teachers do. Workflow, Obviously, it's going to increase productivity if I can get certain reports that I don't have to fill in by hand. So workflow is a huge one. Kyle mentioned communication. That was so high on the list of what teachers desired technology to do. We do know that the whole relationship has been changed between the classroom and the kitchen table. And now it's not even the kitchen table, Kyle's pointing out, in back of a car. In, in terms of how these connections are. So that's a, another huge one, the social. Another huge use of the technology that came out in this is educators are looking for it for better integration of everything that they do. And so we talk about connections among all of us, but also connected learning. Educators want not a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but seamless experiences that connect what's done online to then those in-person parts. So if I'm delivering a mathematic lesson and I have the delivery, but I want the kids using manipulatives and practicing on their own, those have to work together in an integrated and seamless way. And when we think about technology, I think we need to think about having it support teachers and letting teachers do what teachers do best. And that's establishing relationships. That's modeling. That's in making those second decisions about somebody's not well, somebody needs more help, somebody needs to be brought back into this lesson they're not attending. On that minute by minute, that's what teachers do. And if The technology supports that, again, by supporting productivity, by providing engagement, by providing other ways of looking at learning. And I think in all of this, our students are going to benefit because they're learning in the way future learners will be learning. Technology will be part of every learner's repertoire. So giving students the technological tools and resources so that they can be lifelong learners, productive and happy, healthy members of of the broader society. Thank you, Francie. For those of you listening or watching, this has been Disrupt Ed and I'm Ron Stefanski talking to two rock stars in education. Kyle Schwartz, who joins us as a teacher from the classrooms at Denver Public Schools, and Francie Alexander, who has been in education in a number of executive roles and is currently serving as a chief research research officer for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Thank you, ladies. Before we head off on this episode, a couple things. I think 
um, I'm going to ask my audience, you know, one of the limits of this technology is we're one way. We don't have the opportunity to hear what people are saying about this conversation in chatting with us or weighing in and, and offering their own perspectives. I think that what my audience is going to be doing right at this point uh, as we wrap is giving you both a golf clap. They're out there. You don't hear them here today, but they're out there golf clapping because you guys have really done some heroic work over the past uh, several years here during one of the most epic, transformative, and disruptive times in education. To close this out, I'm going to ask you guys if you would be willing to come back because I think you just opened the door to this discussion. And I will tell you that Dr. Caesar, when he's back in the house, is going to have a lot of questions about what the report ultimately concludes around those three things you've been talking about, which is community, connection, and customizing the experience for learners and supporting teachers in the pursuit of that. So last comments before we sign off and, and get ready for our next conversation. I'll start with you, Kyle. Um, my last thoughts for this conversation is just that, um, you know, this really feels like a call to action, like Nancy said. I think we need to be realistic about the state that schools are in right now and the state that teachers are in um, and really acknowledge the problems and take this as an opportunity to make some really big changes. Excellent. And what about you, Francie? Your last thoughts for our viewing and listening audience? I agree with Kyle. This is an inflection point. This is an opportunity for us to reverse a potential great resignation of teachers in education to accelerate rather than accept where students are in terms of what they experienced and not meeting the growth expectations they had. Our schools have always been places of optimism and opportunity. And let's do what we can to be sure and we restore that. Francie, that's a great note to leave on. As I listen to the two of you, I hear so much optimism. I hear so much about a plan and a bold course of action to pursue the opportunities that allow education to be everything it can be for our children, because that's a, the foundation upon which our future is built. So I want to take this opportunity first to thank you for the work you're doing, because all of us who are parents understand that every child out there is our shared and collective responsibility. And uh, you're doing a lot of the lifting here. And I applaud both of you for the work that you're doing. And I'm looking forward to bringing Dr. Caesar back in the house to talk more about connection, community, and customization in K-12 education. Thank you, ladies. This has been Ron Stefanski on another episode of Disrupt Ed. Disrupt Ed.